Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, we are in Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, and uh, according to our text, this is Palm Sunday. Jesus is entering Jerusalem, and there is only one more. This is the last week of ministry leading to Jesus' uh, death and resurrection. And, uh, and so... Uh, this morning he is entering Jerusalem. And so there is a big parade taking place. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 19, we're going to start with verse 28. And I'm going to read through 36 to begin with. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he near, drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Uh, Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As we look at this first passage, portion of scripture this morning, I want you to to understand how mindful Jesus is of all the details. Um, As Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, he's about two miles away from Jerusalem, and he tells his disciples to go into the city and find this colt that's never been ridden on. It's, It's tied up, untie it, and bring it to me. Jesus knew exactly what was taking place here. Jesus knew exactly what the Old Testament said about his coming to Jerusalem. And Jesus at this moment is mindful at making sure, ensuring that all of Scripture, all that's prophesied about him, is being fulfilled. If you have your Bibles or if you have your outline this morning, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Jesus is familiar with this verse. He says, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. Jesus knows that he needs to to enter Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And so he informs his disciples. He knows exactly where this donkey is located and the disciples retrieve it. And in in riding this, um, this donkey into Jerusalem, it reflects two things. Number one, it's a reflection of Jesus' royalty. Jesus is, is announcing himself 
as the Messiah, as the long-awaited king. And as he's coming into Jerusalem on this donkey as king, it's a reflection of his servant, servant leadership as being a humble servant. You know, up until the time of David, when kings would enter into cities uh, victoriously, they would be entering in on the back of a donkey. Uh, after David, um, kings went to a, a, a horse that uh, symbolized more strength and uh, uh, just uh, uh, a pride, you know, that uh, that he was victorious. But that was not Jesus' heart here. Zechariah 9, nine said that the king would be entering on the foal of a donkey, a colt, in humility, as symbolizing uh, uh, being a, a servant. And that's what Jesus is portraying here. Now, you might find it interesting that... Uh, you know, that the disciples just went in and took this donkey. They didn't even ask for permission. They just kind of took it. And why did they do that? Well, um, dignitaries were allowed, according to this culture, to do that among themselves. Jesus was known as a rabbi. And as a rabbi, he had certain privileges. And so Jesus was had the opportunity to, to, to use this uh, cult for this purpose. So this is what's happening as Jesus is entering. He's coming on purpose, according to Zechariah 9.9, on the back of a donkey. Now let's read verses 37 and 38. And as he was drawing near... Already on the way down the, the, the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. There is a an atmosphere here. It's kind of like a sporting event atmosphere. If we were in Dallas, Texas today, there would be a lot of people getting ready for the Dallas 49er football game. And it is an electrifying atmosphere. And the Dallas Cowboy fans are walking in fearful because they are not going, they know they're going to be annihilated by the San Francisco 49ers. Amen. But, but here are, here's this, this throng of people, and they're all lined up along the street, and they're watching Jesus, and they're celebrating, and they're praising God for the fact that their king is coming into Jerusalem. The people are mindful of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. The people are mindful of Zechariah chapter 14. He's at the Mount of Olives now. This is something they've all been anticipating. This is what they've all been waiting for, that Jesus is going to set up his kingdom. If you have your uh, outline, 
uh, I read this passage last Sunday. Let me read it again. Zechariah 14 says, On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. And on that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost. The Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day the Lord will be one and his name one. They're thinking that this is the moment. They're in the spot. And they're anxiously anticipating the earth splitting and Jesus announcing, setting up his kingdom. I don't know why we have this, this cracking up here, but, uh, um, but the, the atmosphere is electric. Look at verse, uh, they go on and, and say, let me just read. What are, they, what are they shouting? What are they praising? Verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The king has arrived. The king is here. If you're familiar with uh, Psalm 118, verse 26, that verse says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, for the, for the Jews, they, they, they substituted he for king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They know that Jesus is king. Jesus is familiar with Zechariah. And he is announcing himself as king. But he's coming as a humble king. If you look at other gospel passages, other gospel passages say that they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. Hosanna means save or save us. And they fully believe that Jesus is going to save them from the Roman Empire. Jesus is now going to set up his kingdom. And they only had it partially right. Yes, Jesus is going to save. But he's not going to save in the way they think he's going to save. He's going to deliver, but not the way they thought. So, Moving on, verses 39 and 40 now. Verse 39 says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Here all these people were shouting, uh, Hosanna. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But not everybody agreed. And some were offended by that title. And in the middle of that crowd, the Pharisees were saying, Jesus, shut these people down. Don't you know what they're saying? And Jesus says, if they can't speak, the very rocks themselves will give praise to me. What is Jesus saying in this passage of Scripture? Jesus said, even creation itself knows more of who I am than you do, Pharisees. Jesus is accepting this praise. Jesus is acknowledging these, the, the, 
people's praise because they know who Jesus really is. But some didn't believe. Some despised the praise. And then we move to verses 41 through 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children are within you and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. I want you to see in this, this portion of scripture the king's tears. Jesus, the the parade is all about Jesus. And people are shouting, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Blessed is he who comes, is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And as he's going down, coming down the Mount of Olives, he turns a corner. Let's bring up that picture, Stephen. He turns a corner and he sees the city of Jerusalem. Now, In the text this morning, this isn't exactly what Jesus would have seen. This is a picture of Jerusalem today. The Dome of the Rock, that's a place of Muslim worship today. That was built around 700, about 690. It was completed around 690 A.D. That wasn't there when Jesus was coming down, looking from the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem. When Jesus was looking into the city, uh, he didn't see all these skyscrapers either. But he did see the great temple. Solomon's temple, uh, the temple that Herod was uh, continuing to, uh, to, to rebuild, to expand upon. That's what Jesus would have seen on Temple Mount here. And when Jesus saw Jerusalem, when when Jesus saw that temple that represented the religion of the people, the Bible says that Jesus began to weep. And it wasn't just a couple tears. He was lamenting Jerusalem. In the middle of the parade, Jesus was weeping. Why was he weeping? He was weeping over the fact that Jerusalem, most of Jerusalem, was going to miss out on his visitation. They were going to reject him as king. Jesus knows this in advance. And Through his tears, this is his prayer. And Jesus is pronouncing judgment on the city that he loves because they do not accept him. Now, there's some theologians today when they see this passage of Scripture and and all that the Jews did to, to Jesus... 
they believe that uh, Jesus' pronouncement of judgment in this passage of Scripture meant that that was the end of the blessing. That was the end of the covenant that God had made with Israel. And that from this point forward, God is now going to be be using the life of the church. God is go- the church is going to replace Israel from this point forward. Church, I don't believe that. I believe that there are still special blessings reserved for Israel in the very end. Yes, we are in the age of this church. Yes, God is using the church. But God still has a plan for Israel before his second coming. And you have some passages of scripture there that you can look at later. Acts chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. Let me just read Acts chapter 3. Because this is what uh, Peter says um, about uh, Israel and about Jesus. Verse 18. But what God foretold you by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer... He thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring of all things about what God has spoke by his mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from the brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Jesus is that prophet. And in the Jews' rejection of Jesus, Jesus prophesies that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. That there are dire consequences on the horizon because they've rejected Christ. And we church, we know from history that that's exactly what took place. In 70 AD, the Roman uh, government came in and they destroyed Jerusalem. They removed the temple from Temple Mount. There was not a stone left unturned. Everything was destroyed and Jesus prophesied this in AD 33. So this is our text this morning. How do we apply this text to our life? A couple things I want to share with you this morning. First is this. Do you trust God's sovereignty? Do you trust that God is absolutely in control of everything? As we read this passage of scripture, as Jesus is preparing to enter Jerusalem, he is so mindful of what the prophets have already said about him. And he's careful with the details making sure all the details as as far as he's in control of in his uh, in his humanity are being taken care of Jesus is in control and I want you to know that Jesus is always 
in control. Now, being in control doesn't mean that we just automatically default to fatalism. Thinking to ourselves, well, if God's in control of all, there's I don't have any responsibility in this. I'll just kind of go about my business. No, we have an opportunity. We have the responsibility to continue to obey God in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. Yes, God is in control, but we're still accountable for our actions. And we still need to be obeying and trusting God all along the way. But my friend, if you don't believe that God is in control, if you don't believe that God is sovereign, you're going to have a very difficult time persevering. And it will be very easy for you to be become bitter in your relationship with God. We serve a sovereign God. And maybe we don't understand it from our perspective, but God sees the bigger picture. We just dedicated little Kai. You don't know all of Matt and Shaughnessy's story, but it's been a difficult journey. And there's been a lot of soaked tears in prayer, believing God for a baby. Susan has had many a conversation with Shaughnessy, listening to her heart. I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago. Um, Shaughnessy put little Kai into Susan's arms. And uh, Susan just began to cry because little Kai was an answer to their prayers. Susan said, kept telling Shaughnessy, Shaughnessy, I, I don't know how it's going to happen. But I know that there's a sperm out there and there's an egg out there and God's going to put the two of them together to create a baby that's going to belong to you, to you. And when she brought that baby to church that Sunday and put that little baby in Susan's arms, that was, that was God's answer to prayer. God God is sovereign. There's a lot of things that happen in the world, my friends, that we don't understand. There's a lot of mistakes that people make. But God takes those mistakes that people make and he takes those ashes and he turns them into a thing of beauty. Maybe you're going through a time right now that it's nothing but ashes. Understand, friend, that God is still in control. He still sees the big picture, and he's going to take your ashes and make it a thing of beauty. There's a lot of evil going on in this world today that we can't explain. In the Middle East, in Africa, 
in North Korea. God's not off his throne. As dark, as ugly as it might be, God has a plan. And what he wants you and I to do is continue to trust him. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And yes, there's going to be a lot of tears. And yes, there's going to be a lot of questions. But God can handle it all. And if you're trusting God's sovereignty, he'll give you the strength. He'll give you the grace to persevere through it. Do you trust his sovereignty? I can tell you right now, if I were to ask Matt, Matt and Shaughnessy, do you trust God's sovereignty? Amen. And there's a lot of others of you who could testify this morning as well. It wasn't easy getting there, but God knew all along what he was doing. So my second question is, which camp are you in this morning? Are you in the camp that's praising God? Are you in the camp that firmly believes that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is King? Or are you part of the skeptics who are trying to shut down the praise? You want the praise to stop. Where do you place Jesus? Is he Lord? Jesus claimed to be king. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. You only have one of two choices. Either he's Lord or he's a liar. Or he was severely delusional in thinking that he was a king. You know, I grew up at, uh, in a youth group at Trinity Southern Baptist Church in Fresno. And uh, the worship pastor at the time, Jim Winchester, he would take us to um, this uh, psychiatric hospital once a month to uh, sing with the patients there. I met some interesting people there. I met Abraham of the Old Testament. I met Moses. I met Jesus. These folks were all delusional. And even as a junior high and high school student, I knew that that wasn't the kind of person I was to follow or to listen to. If Jesus were delusional, I seriously doubt that his disciples would have followed him to their own death. The reason why the disciples were to go to the extreme great lengths that they did was because they were witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They didn't understand all of who Jesus was before the crucifixion, but after the resurrection, they laid their lives on the line. Why? 
Because Jesus was the real deal. Jesus was king. He was the Messiah. Who is Jesus to you? Are you a skeptic this morning? Or are you a firm believer? And I want you to consider this. Judgment is real and inevitable. It's going to happen. We are all going to be judged. Either we're going to be sta- we're going to stand before the presence of Christ at the bema judgment and our works are going to be judged or we're going to be at the great white throne judgment and being told whether our name is or is or isn't in the book of life. And friends, if you're at the white great white throne judgment, your name is not in the book of life. But judgment is inevitable. And for those whose lives are outside of Christ, as we looked at last week, there is hell to pay. Now, I know some people don't like to hear the word hell. That God could no way be associated with hell. If God truly is love, there wouldn't be a hell. But I want to share with you this morning that there is a hell because God is love. If there was no hell, God wouldn't be a God of love. How can I say that? Think of all that's transpiring in our world today that we're reading about on the internet. Those terrorists in the Middle East. Those terrorists in Africa. Think about those who flew the planes into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon on 9-11. We're coming up, what, on our 13th anniversary of that event? Do you think God would say, oh, that's okay. You know, God's a God of love, and so I'm just going to let everybody in because I love everybody. If God just was a universalist and let everybody in to heaven, God would be indifferent to sin. But the Bible says that God is holy and just and must punish sin. And all of us here in this room want there to be a hell because there are some people who don't deserve to go to heaven because of the things that they've done. Judgment is real. Judgment is inevitable. And the only people who will be able to enter heaven is through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father but by me. Friends, we're all sinners. All have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. Who is Jesus to you? I want you to know that Jesus loves you. And if you choose to reject him, you know what? Jesus weeps for you. Jesus wept for Jerusalem. In front of everybody. And Jesus weeps for you if you reject him. He longs to be in relationship with you. He's not going to force himself on you. You have to voluntarily surrender your life to him while you still have the opportunity because there's going to be a day one day when it will no longer be voluntary. Every knee is going to bow, bend. Every heart is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Understand. Jesus loves you so much that he died in your place. The third thing to consider is who do you know that doesn't know Jesus that you need to have a conversation with? My friends, it doesn't have to be an intense conversation. You don't have to coerce them into a relationship with Jesus. You just... Tell your story out of love, out of concern for their life. When Jesus talked to these skeptics in this passage of Scripture, he just told them, if they don't stop, if they stop praising God, praising me, the rocks are going to cry out. He didn't get into an intense conversation with them. He just told them the truth. Plant seeds. Who are you praying for? Who do you need to have that conversation with? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Jesus, that you chose to reveal yourself. To publicly declare that you are the king that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Father, some believed, some didn't. And for those who didn't, Jesus, you had strong words that became true 37 years later. Father, I pray for all the people here in this room. I don't know their their relationship with you. I don't know if they truly believe or if they're skeptical, but God, you know each person. Lord, this morning I pray for those who don't know you but need to know you that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, that they would not harden their hearts, but choose to believe. 
Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son to die on a cross. Lord, may we cry out to you. Hosanna. Lord, save. In Jesus' name.